Dave, thank you. Uh, thank you, Ben, and good morning, everybody. Uh, as Gary mentioned, we're continuing in our series called Undone, where we're looking at the things that we do with our lives and the things that we leave undone in our lives. And we're saying that it really makes a difference. It makes a difference in the type of person that we're becoming because we're forming our character every day through the decisions that we make. And we don't want to get to the end of our life and regret things that we did or to look back and think there's more that I could have done. There's things that I left undone. And so we've been looking at the vices and the virtues uh, as a way to kind of inspire us. But one of the things I don't want you to walk away from this series is another list of things that you're supposed to go try to do, all right? Because uh, we wouldn't be very good at keeping the list anyway. Scripture is pretty clear that our arbitrary rules of do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, Paul says to the Colossians, he says, have zero value in restraining our fleshly indulgence. They, they don't work in trying to help you. So, so why do we do this then? Why, why are we in this study? Well, the vices can act as a cautionary sign of life that actually is life that would harm us. And, and the virtues, they are an invitation. Both of them are aspirational. We aspire um, to be a different person, but there'll be tension there, right? Because we can't fully live it out. But when we see the beauty of the virtues, they should inspire us. When we see the wisdom behind it, when we see this is just a better way to live, It'll inspire us to draw near to God, to come out of ourselves and into relationship with God. And there, we get the power and the grace that we need to live in a way that he'll shape our character. And so, as Gary mentioned, we're in this two-week study on greed and generosity. Last week, if you were with us, well, we looked at greed. And we discovered that greed is not something that most people identify with. It's not something that most people think they have. It's out there, somebody else has it, it's for the rich or the want to be rich, but, but it's not something that quickly comes to mind. I've been pastoring now and uh, doing kind of ministry and giving away my life for the sake of others here for almost 40 years. Um, and I went back through the kind of years as best I could remember, and, and I couldn't think of one time where somebody called me and said, Jeff, could we get together? I'm struggling in an area, and I'd love to get your help. I'm struggling with greed. Not one time, 40 years. Why? Is it we don't struggle with greed? Well, we all have it to one degree or another. The problem with greed is it's really, really hard to detect. It's hard to know when it's there. And one of the reasons why is greed is sneaky. It likes to hide out. In fact, it hides out behind what looks like a virtue. I mentioned last week that my least favorite chore around the house is pulling the weeds. Um, so to motivate myself, one of the things I do is I try to go after the weeds that are hiding in the grasses and under the bushes that we've planted there and in the flowers. And, and what I've noticed is sometimes they sort of even look like the grass they're hiding in. It, it's rather interesting to me to, to make sure I get those sneaky weeds and pull them out. Well, greed's just like that. It might hide behind, hey, I'm just a hard worker, or I'm frugal, or I'm just a saver. I, I've learned how to take a little bit and make it go a long way, and all of these things the Bible teaches us we should do. But when the motive is greed, when the motive is I need this stuff, or I want more for me, and it leaves no room for generosity, that's when we fall into trouble. 
And that's what God wants to warn us against. And he did in the passage that we looked at last week in Luke 12. We looked at a parable where Jesus told a parable and a story specifically to warn us about this problem of greed. And he concluded the story about this farmer who had an abundant crop but didn't have any mindset at all that this was for the sake of others. He thought it was all for me. Jesus said that instead of hoarding it for ourselves, at the end of our lives, we want to make sure we can look back and say, we were rich towards God. That's Jesus speak for being generous, for being able to and willing to and wanting to not only care for my needs, but to be interested in caring for the needs of others, to make strategic investments into the advancement of the kingdom of God. This is what God prescribes for your and my heart. I love the way Paul puts it. He puts it very explicitly in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 17. So if you would turn in your Bible to 1 Timothy 6, or it's there in your bulletin, you can follow along with me. Listen to what Paul says, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Well, a couple of things here that's important to note. Notice the implication of this verse. It's not wrong to have wealth. Paul isn't saying if you have wealth, get rid of it all. He's saying, if you have wealth, I have a command for you. I have some important information for you in knowing how to manage this. And that is, you're going to be tempted to transfer your trust from God in what he is doing to provide for you and to transfer your trust and your hope and your wealth. He says, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't put your hope in an uncertain thing of the temporal wealth of this world, but keep trusting in God. Verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Do you see God's solution to our problem of greed? Be generous, be ready, be willing, be eager. Look for opportunities to give, to share for the sake of others. If you have money, God doesn't want you to feel guilty. He wants you to feel responsible. And when you do, there's a promise here. You'll enter into, interestingly, what Paul describes as life, which is truly life indeed. A different quality of life a different kind of life. A generous person's heart is a transformed heart, and you're able to experience life the way God intended it. So, how do we do this? How, how do we become generous people? Let me get uber practical with you right now, okay? This is kind of almost going to be, it just, it's just makes sense, but we've got to establish this one critical behavior, which is easy to, to describe, but hard to do. For you and I to become generous people, we have got to learn how to manage money in such a way as we constantly have margin. In other words, we spend less then we earn so that there's margin in our financial 
management of what is entrusted to us, what we get to manage. This concept of margin we see in the scriptures going all the way back to Leviticus 19 when God is giving instructions to his people on how to be the people of God for the world to see what it's like to live under the reign of God. And fascinatingly enough, God sets up a social security system of sorts because he knows this is going to be an agrarian society. So he says to the wealthy landowners, he says, when you harvest your crop, don't harvest the entire field. Leave a margin on the edge of your field of unharvested crop. Why? Because God cares about the needs of the poor. It was God's way of feeding the poor, of showing compassion in the way he set up the entire nation of Israel was to care for those who had less. Those who had more were to freely and willingly share systematically with those who had need. And so he's teaching those with wealth to be compassionate, to be generous. He's saying to the business owners, from a business perspective, leave some of your profit on the table. Why? For the sake of others. And if we don't learn how to create margin, if you have no margin in your finances, you'll never have financial peace of mind. You'll be in a constant state of worry. And you obviously won't have any room to give because there's nothing there to give. This point, let me make a pitch. If you haven't signed up for or taken the class, Financial Peace University, let me really encourage you. As a finance guy, this is just one of the best out there. It's biblically sound, but it's nine weeks of some of the best training on how to manage your money. And I know, even if you feel like you're upside down financially, it'll give you the tools you need to be able to do this thing I'm talking about and knowing how to create margin in your finances. And so you can take some steps to get educated. If you're in a rut, you don't have to stay there. It may be a long journey to get kind of right-sized, but start now. When you move from financial worry to financial peace, you're going to start breaking the bond of greed in your heart. And just like Florida's the perfect environment to grow weeds, it's subtropical here, it's hot, it's humid, it rains, the financial society in which you and I live constantly beckons our heart to worry about money. And when we do, uh, greed is a candidate to settle in and we'll think we need to hoard everything we have and we'll be reluctant to give. Let me share a quote from a pastor with some really hard-hitting words on this area. It's from Pastor Andy Stanley up in, in, in Atlanta. He says, if you're not willing to give to the point where it impacts your lifestyle, then according to Jesus, you're greedy. If you're consuming to the point of having little or nothing to give, you're greedy. If you're consuming and saving to the point of having little or nothing to give, you're greedy. I know that's strong. It's actually harsh, but it's true. Maybe it's hard to swallow because you've never had a greedy thought in your life. Maybe even you feel compassion every time that you see someone in need. And in your heart, you really do want to help. You want to give, but you can't or you won't. Why? Because you're afraid you won't have enough. But your heart actually does go out to those who have a need. So is it fair to say that you're greedy? Yes. Because greed is not a feeling, it's a refusal to act. 
So greed is actually something that keeps us from action, the action of being generous people, being willing to share. And so fortunately, the Bible has much to say about how to cultivate this habit of giving, this habit and this mindset of generosity. And I see three levels that I want to talk to you about this morning. So the first level of giving that I see in the scripture is just God prescribes for us that when we get increased, we automatically give a percentage back to God. And the percentage that God prescribes is what's called the tithe or 10%, to give 10% to God. Listen to what he says in Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. If you write in your Bible, circle test me now in this, or in your bulletin, go ahead and circle that. And the reason I want you to do that is because in the entirety of all of Scripture, this is the only time, the one and only time, where we're invited to test God. Up until this time and throughout the rest of Scripture, it's strictly forbidden. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. But here, he's doing the opposite. He's saying, test me in this one. Why? I think it's because God knows that to be in a regular habit of giving a percentage of our income back to him, it's hard. But he's saying this is a command with a promise that you will only understand if and when you act in obedience. And he's saying, I will take care of you. I will bless you. In fact, I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing into your life. Now, some of you at this point might be thinking, hmm, this sounds like a great thing to do. Give God a little bit, and he just makes me really, really rich. Is, is that what he's saying? No. What does that sound like? Greed, all right? It's like I can manipulate God to get me more. The blessing he's talking about may include financial increase, but that's not exactly what he's talking about here. It goes back to what Paul was saying. The life that he's talking about of blessing is a full life, life the way it was intended to be, a heart that is full, a heart that is alive, life that is truly life indeed. God has promised to meet all of your needs, and he's promised to fill your life, to fill your heart with the goodness of God. So the question is, will you trust him? And in this area, friends, you either experience this or you don't. Jill and I have followed this over the entire course of our marriage, and I can stand in front of you today and just say that God is true to his word. We have put him to the test, and he has done what he has promised to do. But until you try it, you're never going to know. I mean, I could, let, let's talk about, for example, give you an, an illustration here is, is, let's say you never tasted chocolate before. And I could stand up here and I could describe how rich and creamy and smooth and sweet and satisfying chocolate is. But until you take a bite, you don't know what I'm talking about. Good friend of mine, used to, I used to travel to Europe quite a bit, and uh, he went with me, and we were flying into Frankfurt, Germany, and going down into Austria, so we would drive through the southern part of Germany. And as you know, Germany has the Autobahn unlimited speed. 
And, uh, and so my friend wanted to spend a little bit of his money to rent a BMW that could go really, really fast. Uh, now, we didn't get the big Mac Daddy sedan, but ours could go fast enough. And so in the south, there's less traffic, and it can open up, and you can get to top speed. So I remember as we, uh, he had it opened up, and we were going, we got up to 125 miles an hour, and at the peak of the speed, he cried out, this is the greatest country in the world. <laughs> Why? Because he was experiencing speed. He had seen it before, he had read about it, but now he was doing it. And this is kind of the way it is here. Until you act and are generous as an act of faith, it's going to be hard to see God come through for his promise. But when you do, your confidence in your relationship with God goes up because he's true to his word. You can take it to the bank. Now, I know some of you, you're going, Kern, it sounds like you're asking me to climb Mount Everest. We're living paycheck to paycheck. We're upside down financially. We're in a tough spot. And, and let me just say, it's going to be a journey, but you can get out of it. Don't stay there. But let me also say, don't wait till you think you have enough to start giving. I was talking to John uh, Parker, our lead pastor. He recently went to Guatemala with some other pastors with a group that's uh, working with underprivileged children around the world. And one of the pastors, upon uh, leaving um, one of the uh, impoverished areas, uh, reflected. He said, you know, you're never so poor as to not be able to give. And you're never so rich as to not be able to receive. And I thought that was a really great reminder. You see, even in our poverty, we can choose to give. And it all involves sacrifice. I'm reminded of a time our family was in Kiev, Ukraine, uh, shortly um, after Ukraine gained its independence from the former Soviet bloc. Um, we had an opportunity to work with church planters in that part of the world. So we spent the summer there when I was teaching in a church planter training school. And, uh, and then we would spend time in the park meeting people because we were in the process of planting a church. And we befriended this one family who ended up inviting my family because we had our three daughters with us uh, to come over to their house for dinner. And to say that it was a, a kind of a stark, basic place, they were poor. They lived in a one-room flat where they would actually have to set up their bedroom at night. And it was well-kept, but they were poor. But there in the middle of the, of the room was just these tables put together, and there was a feast laid out on these tables. And um, turned out our friends told us that it probably cost them over one month's wage to feed us that evening. What an act of generosity. In addition to that, they have a custom in Ukrainian culture. And that custom is, is when the children come over, if they play with your children's gifts or toys, as you leave that evening, they will give you those toys as a gift. And our Ukrainian friends that were coaching us said, you can't do the American thing, which is, oh, no, 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 we can't accept that. No, no, no. They said, if you do that, you're going to be really offensive. So you've got to receive the gift. So I sat down with my girls who were eight, six, and four at the time, and I said, we're going to go over this house, and they're going to have toys. Don't touch anything. <laughs> Sure enough, they're young girls, they grab the toys, and as we're leaving, they're handling, handing us these toys as we're going out. And it was so humbling. It was so beautiful to see 
the sacrifice and the joy of generosity. You see, you're never so poor as to not to be able to give. And this is what God's prescription is, to break the back of greed in our lives and to invite us into a way of trusting God that is like no other in our life. So we give. We give regularly a percentage back to God. Secondarily, we give spontaneously. In Matthew 5, 42, Jesus said, give to him who asks of you. This is where we go through life with our hearts soft and our eyes open, and we're looking for opportunities that come our way where we give spontaneously, where we, we give to the needs under the wisdom of prayer and guided by wisdom, we give to the needs of people that we see as we go through the course of life. To me, one of the best examples of this is actually you, Summit Church. Um, many of you know that on Christmas Eve, we give the entirety of our Christmas Eve offering to one of our partners, uh, either globally or locally. Each year, we kind of go back and forth. Now, this is in addition to the 15% of the, of the giving that we do, of all the income that comes into Summit, all, we turn around and give 15% to support work going on outside the walls of our church. And so I'm just really, really excited that Summit is a, is a generous church. Now, we decided to partner with Michelle Hamilton and Young Life, who's working with um, the Title I schools and the children that are attending these schools. And many of these kids, they're, they're in a really rough spot. Many of them, the only meal they get is the meal that's offered through school that day. And here, Michelle and her team, they've got a, a wonderful thing going where they build community, a place to belong. They attend to their emotional and their physical needs, and they teach them that they matter to God. They teach them about the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus that says, you matter so much, God sent his son to die for you that you can have forgiveness of sins and relationship with him. It's a phenomenal ministry. A really good traditional Christmas Eve offering is about $75,000. That's a boatload of money. This year, y'all gave $158,226.53. Wow. Why? Because I think this is a generous church that's being led by the Spirit of God to participate in the things God is doing. It's just amazing. So we give a percentage. We give spontaneously. But then there's a third area. We give shockingly. We give shockingly. Let me share a couple of verses that actually teach this method of giving. It's Proverbs 11.24 and Psalm 112, uh, verse 9. In Proverbs it says, There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. There's one who withholds what is justly due and results only in want. Then it says, he's given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. What's interesting about these verses that are Old Testament teaching on how to give is the word forgive that's used here, this scattering idea, this, this giving freely idea, is not the normal word that you would use in Hebrew for giving. The normal word in Hebrew would be nathan, to give, it is basically move from one place and move it to another. The word being used here is not a word hardly ever used for giving, but it's prescribed by God here on how we should give. And the word is pazur. 
this word is kind of the idea of taking seed and just scattering it, taking everything out of the bag and just throwing it out there, just letting it go, kind of this, this free giving of just a heart of letting everything go, throwing it out there. This is what Tim Keller calls, he gives it the category, shocking giving. And I like that. It's the idea that if someone were to see how you give, and we don't go around broadcasting that, but if someone were to happen upon how you give, they would be shocked at the level of your generosity. And God prescribes this for us. And to be able to give this way, you have to have some things settled in your heart because this isn't natural to us. You have to grow spiritually to want to be able to give this way. And the first thing that a shocking giver knows is the shocking giver has no question in their mind that all that I own is God's. It's not like I've got 10% or 90% and God gets 10%. I know everything's God's. I'm just managing. I can't take anything with me. I'm just responsibly managing what comes my way. And so the mindset is it all is God's. Reminds me of a story I heard when I was still in college about a young man um, who uh, was saving up for his first car, and he was going to get a used, sporty little red car. Not a sports car, but a sporty little red car. And and so he saved his money, and he bought his car, and, and one day he had it parked out front of his home, and a thunderstorm came through. And so as soon as the thunderstorm passed, he ran outside, and sure enough, a tree branch, large tree branch, fell smack dab on the car and crushed the car. And coming upon the scene, he said, Lord, look what you did to your car. (laughs) Shocking givers understand it's all his. Shocking givers, in addition, they have their eyes opened to the spiritual realities of our world. The Bible is clear. We walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. I love this story from the Old Testament found in 2 Kings chapter 6. And the story is about the prophet Elijah. Elisha. And he's with his servant, and they're looking over the wall of Jerusalem. And there's this horrible sight. There's this army of the Arameans that have surrounded the city, and they're threatening to take over the city of Jerusalem. And the servant that's with Elisha, his knees are knocking. I mean, he's looking at this army. He says, we're toast. And he's scared. But Elisha, he's cool as a cucumber. And so the servants kind of look at him. And so Elisha prays for the eyes of his servant to be open to the spiritual realities going on around them. And as his eyes were opened, he could see in the mountains surrounding Jerusalem, the armies of God and the chariots of fire. And Elisha assured him, and he said, those who are with us are more than those who are arrayed against us. Oh, my prayer for us today is there is a spiritual unseen reality going on all around us. And unless our eyes are open to this truth, we'll walk around thinking this world is all there is. But the truth is, is God is building his infinite and eternal kingdom. And we get the opportunity to participate with God. The life that we live, the few short years we have here on planet Earth can literally change the face of eternity by the way that we choose to live, by the way that we choose to invest our lives, through the generosity that we show with our time and our talents and our resources for the sake of others. 
This is life indeed. This is the life God has prescribed for you and me. Not a life of hoarding, not a life of just trying to greedily grabbing all we can. You can't take it with you. And so those who are shocking givers are living not only for this life, but recognizing that they're preparing for the next. Thirdly, shocking givers have found their security in Christ. Last week I mentioned that greed is the wrong response to our good desire for security. God wired us up for a need for security. And yet we can get this one wrong. And when we're greedy, we're thinking, my stuff, my bank account, my possessions are going to take care of me. And in a financial society, we're told you need to accumulate so much so it'll take care of you. And this is the warning. Don't put your trust in your stuff. Be wise, prepare, but put your trust in God. Your security is in Christ. It reminds me of one of my favorite stories of my father. My, my dad passed about a year and a half ago. And, uh, and one of my favorite memories of my dad is uh, when I was just graduated from college, uh, I studied business at University of Michigan, and I had paid for my own education. I worked hard to get my degree. But upon graduation, I sensed God was calling me into vocation, vocational ministry. And so my dad was a young Christian at the time, and I didn't know how he would think about this idea of me pivoting kind of a career change right after spending four years of preparation. Um, so I was a little bit apprehensive to go in and talk to him because he was a young believer at the time, didn't know what he would think. Um, and so I went in, I told him what God was doing and what I was thinking, and he kind of put his head down and grabbed his mustache. This is what he would do when he would think and wanted to say something. Now, obviously, he didn't give me the ability to grow a mustache, um, but, you know, so he's uh, kind of doing that. And he looks up, he goes, well, I guess working for God is more reliable than working for the American economy. And with that, I got my dad's blessing. Uh, to pursue what God was doing in my life. Why? Because my dad, even as a young Christian, knew God is the one who takes care of us. God is the one we should trust. Shocking givers, in addition to finding their security in Christ, have found their significance in Christ. Greed, again, gone awry, can cause us to want to think that somehow the stuff of this world can make us significant. And so we work hard to accumulate, uh, you know, possessions and accomplishments, and we show them off to the world as exhibit A of, look how great I am, look what I can do. And we get our net worth all mixed up with our self-worth, as if this world was the only thing we're living for. And God says, there's so much more I have for you, a life of significance. We were created to work with God and to reign with God over all of his creation. And Jesus has now come and invited us to work with him as he builds his infinite eternal kingdom. That's significance. And yet we get all mixed up in, in trying to, you know, uh, do, pursue the things of this world. We need to heed the, the wisdom of Will Rogers that says, uh, too many people spend money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't even like. And so if you want to be great in this world, be great with God. And if you want to be great with this world and the next, be great with God and be great with people because those are the things that are eternal. And then finally, 
this kind of giver, the shocking giver, for us to get to this point, we've learned something about Jesus. We, we want to be more like Jesus. Why? Because think about this with me for a minute. What's the most shocking gift in the history of creation? The most shocking gift in the history of all creation, for God so loved the world that he gave. God gave his best. He gave his son. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Why? For the sake of you and me. He knew that Adam's helpless race was separated from God, and there's no way that we could bridge that gap of separation back to God unless our sins would be paid for. So he came as the perfect spotless lamb of God to take your and my place and take our sin upon himself and therefore satisfying the wrath of God now offers through the power of his resurrection the opportunity for forgiveness in life, which is life indeed. That's what he did for you and for me. And the person who becomes a shocking giver, their life has been totally transformed by this. They knew who they were before Christ. They knew the, the pain they were in and the mess they had made with, with their lives. And God, in a moment, came through and said, no, I'm wiping the past clean. I'm giving you a fresh start. Today, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And overcome with gratitude for all that God has done for us, we want to emulate what God has done. He gave his life redemptively. He poured himself out on a cross and gave it all. And so we can give our life sacrificially to emulate the love of Christ by giving our lives for the sake of others. That's what it means to follow Jesus. To be able to give as he gave. And friends, I don't think we're any, there's no time in our life where we're more like God than when we give. Giving is the habit that changes everything. It breaks that power of greed in our lives. It calls us into deeper relationship with God. It causes us to be able to see that God is true to his word and his promises. It gives us the opportunity to significantly invest our lives and to make a difference with the years we have here on planet Earth. And so the application this morning is pretty simple. But it's pretty challenging. Cultivate a heart of generosity. And don't just think about it. Don't just feel it. Do it. Give. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for the opportunity, Lord, to open up our hearts to your spirit, to speak to those areas of hurt, those areas of need, those areas of fear. And Lord, to trust you, you're inviting us like no other area to really lean in and to experience the truth of these promises. The truth, Lord, that you can and will provide for our needs. The truth, Lord, that you can help us get out of the mess that we've created, whether it's a personal mess or a financial mess. But Lord, your wisdom will guide us into all that we need. I just pray for each person that's here. I pray they'd open up their heart to you by your spirit and that you would lead them in the good and the perfect way. I pray this in the risen and powerful name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.